This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Top six Astros Mariners still scoreless in game three of their series uh, out in uh, Seattle. It almost feels like the, the Astros are just waiting for Seattle to score like a runner. Oh, oh, you scored a run. Oh, here you go. Here's a three-run home run. They're just toying with them at this point. There's no, there's no way you can convince me that the Mariners, even though the game is, is still going on, that the Mariners have any chance to, to win a game, never mind the series after the way the first two games went. But look, the baseball playoffs have been fascinating, and uh, the way the Mets season came to an end was kind of fascinating as well. So uh, no one better to talk about it with than our buddy uh, Pat Rangazzo, who's nice enough to give us a couple of minutes, who covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. Pat, what's going on, my man? Not much, Gordon. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, so give me the read from from Metland. I mean, you're far closer to this than I am. As the, I'm a Yankee fan, so I, I don't know. Like the the way this is broken down, Braves are out, so that's good news. Like Met fans, you know, not happy about what their team has done, but the, but the fact the Braves are out, but the Phillies and the Padres are at least potentially going to meet in the NLCS. What what's the feeling in Mets Nation? Is it is it good? Hey, just the Braves are out. That's all that matters. Or is it still like a little salty that the Phillies of all teams are still hanging around? Um, I don't sense any saltiness from Mets fans. Uh, you know, it's just sinking in now that the Phillies will be advancing to the NLCS. I think it's just uh, more so the attitude of that's just baseball. The Mets and Braves had 101 wins apiece this year, and the Phillies had 87 wins. And the Phillies weren't even over 500 until June, and the Mets had beaten them. Uh, nine out of their first 12 matchups and really handled the Phillies this year. Um, but that's just baseball. The Phillies now were the underdog. They were the sixth seed, and they knocked off the Braves, who were the defending champs, and um, you know wound up taking the division from the Mets. It feels like a lot of time has passed uh, with, with the way you know the baseball playoffs have just been rolling on here, games every single day. Um, when, when, it, when it ended against the Padres for the Mets, was there one prevailing emotion? Was it, was it surprise? Was it anger? What was the what was the the prevailing emotion you felt like with the Mets with the way that the season ended and it just ended you know it went from like the peak of he, he you know the division is there for us to out altogether uh, when when it all was over after that Padres game three. It was a disappointing end to the season, um, and I think that's how the last month of play for the Mets could be described. But you kind of saw the writing on the wall since they took two or three from the Dodgers in the end of uh, in the first days of September and last few days of August, um, they really did not beat the teams they were supposed to beat in the Nationals, the Pirates, the Marlins, the Cubs, and um, it wound up coming back to bite them in the, in the rear end. And um, it was kind of all just uh, showed you what their destiny was going to be when they got swept in Atlanta. All they needed to do was win one game to control their own destiny, and they could not even win one game in the most important series of the season. And then of course, um, you know, facing the Padres and not providing much offense other than in the middle game that they won. Um, And that really was, um, you know, that plus the Mets top three starting pitchers, not pitching as well as they were expected to in the two biggest series of the season. Like that just kind of condemned the Mets uh, altogether between the offense. And then, you know, the, uh, the big starters not coming through. We're talking with Pat Rangazzo, who covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. Uh, You've already reported that the Mets have reached out, have have touched base with Jacob deGrom. Obviously, he is uh, planning to opt out. Mets have a ton of free agents. How do you think that they approach this with deGrom this offseason? 
Well, Billy Epler spoke to us in the end of the season media availability on Friday at City Field, and he said that he had a talk with a one-on-one discussion with Jacob DeGrom after Sunday, last Sunday's uh, elimination loss, and he said Jacob DeGrom knows how the Mets feel, and the Mets know how Jacob DeGrom feels, and the relationship is positive. So um, I think the Mets are going to prioritize, even though they said that they're, they wouldn't say that they were prioritizing one said player, but Jacob DeGrom, Edwin Diaz, and Brandon Nimmo have to be the top three um, players who they're trying to retain this offseason. And I, I do think that they're going to be, uh, you know, continuing to have that dialogue with DeGrom and the others, you know, as soon as possible. How much of a balance do you think that they have to have when, when you're talking about moving forward, right? Like they had a very successful regular season and had a very good team overall. But with the way that it ends, obviously, if it ends short of, uh, of your ultimate goal, you have to make changes. How aggressive do you think the Mets will be in, in terms of trying to make changes at certain spots, but at the same time, not losing the fact that it was an overall very successful year and one of the most successful years in the history of the franchise? I think their aggression is going to come to trying to re-sign some of the players who helped get them to that, uh, you know, that historic regular season that they had. Um, that being said, they do need some improvements and maybe some more protection in the middle of the order for Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso. Um, and Bill Yepler said on Friday, he said that um, the Mets want to build a sustainable winner, but Steve Cohen's going to fund the team to kind of bridge that gap, uh, you know, through free agency while they're trying to build, you know, sustainability through uh, through their farm system and through their player development. We're talking with Pat Rangazzo here on 98.7 FM ESPN New York because, you know, when you take a look at this year, you know, the, the, the reason that you had real uh, hope was, you know, that, that two-headed monster atop the rotation. You could make, you know, the case that the three-headed if you wanted to include Chris Bassett. But at the end of the time, you know, you do have to evaluate how things went. And at the end of the season, um, DeGrom was not at the same level that he was at other times. Obviously, Scherzer had his struggles especially in the, in the two series, the Braves and the, and the Padres. Um, do they have to maybe look at, you know, obviously if you're the Mets, Jacob DeGrom is an all-time Met, you want to have him back, but how do they try to you know, um, reorganize the rotation so that it's not just all the weight on those two guys? It's going to be tricky because Tywan Walker is going to be a free agent. Chris Basso will most likely be a free agent. And then you have DeGrom. So, um, I think that, that when they signed Scherzer, the, it was to build a team around DeGrom and Scherzer top of the rotation for the next couple of years and trying to win now, uh, you know, with, with those two Hall of Fame arms, future Hall of Fame arms. Um, so I don't think there is necessarily an answer to that of, of putting all your eggs in the basket with DeGrom because he's going to make a lot of money, uh, probably surpassing Scherzer's $43 million annual average value per season. Um, and, and I think the Mets are going to, as long as they can, retain DeGrom, it doesn't go past their limits, and then they're going to continue to go with the model of having those two, uh, you know, lead the rotation, have the rotation built around those two, uh, you know, better in arms. It seems like there's been, like, this open secret uh, throughout the season that, you know, oh, DeGrom, he's not only just going to opt out, but, you know, there's been, you know, you, I'm sure you heard the talk of Braves or he's going to leave or he's going to go, you know, someplace else. <laughs> what, what, where would you put the odds of, of Jacob DeGrom being back with the Mets next season? Um, I think the way the end of the season played out, I'd say very high. Um, some of the teams that we heard rumored, I, I just think that they were geographical speculation uh, for, you know, putting them down south or, or in, in the south, uh, you know, in, in Texas as well. Um, I, I don't think that um, 
I don't think the odds are very high right now that he leaves. Uh, just, you know, but there is going to be limits for the Mets too. So if, if they can't meet in the middle in these negotiations, then obviously he's gone. But um, I like his chances of coming back to the Mets, you know, in, at this point in time. Considering the struggles of Max Scherzer, how, um, you know, how, how do the Mets approach that next year uh, when you've seen now two years in a row, near, he's been at times electric, right? At times this year with the Mets, he was outstanding, but was not able to sustain that um, and, and dealt with some injuries down the, down the stretch of the season. How do you think the Mets uh, approach having Max Scherzer as part of the, a main part of the rotation next year? Well, I think Max Scherzer needs to approach it in the offseason where he's going to be rehabbing and, uh, you know, healing his body a little more. I mean, we've asked multiple times, and um, the end of the season, it was not an injury uh, that led to his, you know, his couple of shaky starts that he had. Of course, he gave up uh, seven runs in the, wild, in the game one of the wild card round. Um, it was more of a mechanical thing. His, his drive, he was having t- a tough time with his drive on his glove side. So that was more of a mechanical thing and not uh, injury based, but yeah, they do need to, um, Ellie Scherzer needs to, you know, get his body right in the off season and the Mets do need to be, uh, you know, conscious of, you know, keeping this guy healthy for a full season. Obviously, as you mentioned, the three guys that you, they, you would expect to have back to Grom Diaz um, and, and Brandon Nimmo, but you, you mentioned there, there has to be a way to find more protection for the two big bats in your lineup in Lindor and Pete Alonso. Is there a spot that you look at and say, that's the area where the, you know, a position where the Mets have to upgrade. Is it DH? Is it third base? Where do you see that maybe coming? Yeah. Especially with the way Eduardo Escobar, who's under contract for another year, uh, the way he played and you have Brett Beatty, uh, you know, who's probably close to being an everyday major leaguer. Um, yeah, I think DH is the most logical place, and guys like J.D. Martinez and Josh Bell will be available, and I think that's who the Mets are going to look at. We're talking with Pat Rangazzo here on 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Uh, Diaz, um, th- just that spot, I, I, obviously he had an incredible season and you know maybe one of the greatest relievers uh, in, in Mets history in terms of just one season. But that spot, I mean, we see it all the time, right? Guys have it and then lose it. Uh, what, what type of contract parameters do you think that Diaz is going to be looking at uh, as a free agent this year with the Mets? Well, I, I think he might be the first reliever in baseball history to get a $100 million contract. That's how good he was this year, and I think that's what he's worth at this point. Uh, all right, moving on to Billy Epler. And, um, you know, his comments got a lot of attention about saying that he had no regrets at the trade deadline. That's an area where I think a lot of Mets fans looked at a, a missed opportunity uh, given the additions and the fact that a lot of those additions did not make any impact. I took it as, as more of, you know, that really wasn't his decision in terms of um, what prospects you're willing to give up, how much of a price you're willing to pay to go out there and, and make improvements. Uh, how did you take his comments about having no regrets about the trade deadline? Well, I just think that the the, the deals weren't there, that these teams wanted – the top three prospects and, and, you know, ridiculous asking prices. And if the Mets just weren't willing to give up that type of haul for rental players. And um, it, it showed. And uh, it turns out that the Cubs wound up holding on to Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ and the Red Sox wound up hanging on to J.D. Martinez. And just the, the deals weren't there, um, you know, to, to kind of, you know, swing those types of trades without selling your farm off and, um, yeah, no, I, I, I was not surprised to hear him uh, say that he has no regrets about how the trade deadline went down. 
Well, Pat, it's going to be a very busy offseason for you with all the free agents, just the free agents the Mets have, never mind signing any other ones. Uh, I appreciate you giving us a few minutes uh, today and uh, enjoy the baseball playoffs, my friend. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for having me on. That is Pat Rangazzo, covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. Coming up, we'll get back into the Yankee talk. We'll get into some NFL picks as well because I've been sensational so far this season. And you know what? Sometimes a wise man once told me, if you don't toot your own horn, sometimes there is no music. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. keeping track of our picks this year, our NFL picks on the Cover 5 app. Football fans, it is not too late to sign up for Cover 5. What is Cover 5? Well, it's a free-to-play pick'em game for season-long fun, and you can compete against your friends. You can compete against your favorite ESPN radio hosts. And I will tell you, competing against some of your ESPN radio hosts, easier some easier than others. All you do each week, you pick five games, and the best score against the spread wins 100 bucks. You can join the 98.7 ESPN League with code NY22 on the Cover 5 app and cover5.com. Visit ESPNNewYork.com for full contest rules. Again, now I will tell you, in our group, there's about 1,500, just over 1,500 people in our group. I currently, heading into week six, am 52nd. That's pretty. That's not shabby. It's not terrible, especially since the first week or two. I was having a little. I didn't understand that how it worked. I didn't read the rules. I'm not. You know, I'm a big ID guy. I'm not day to day nuts and bolts guy. But I'm 52nd, and you might be saying you're just mentioning that because you're doing really well. Well, yeah. Of course, as soon as I do poorly, I won't mention it at all. Now I'll still mention the Cover Five app because it's fantastic. But in case you're a one, you're saying, Gordon, all right, you're 52nd, but how are the other hosts on the station? Well, Don LaGreca, everybody's favorite, Don LaGreca, has been sensational. He is 18th. Again, this is out of, how many did I say? 1,569 people. I don't know. There's more people signing up every minute. Group NY22. So Don is 18th. Andrew Gunling, before he bolted town, he was 51st, but he's off the list now. He's, he's persona non grata. I'm second out of all the hosts, 50 seconds. So that's fantastic. Uh, Rick DiPietro, 115th. Not shat, not terrible. I mean, out of 15, more than 1,500, that's pretty good. It's a lot. You know, there's not that many. You get one point or two here or there. It's a big jump. So that's pretty good. Now, there's some controversy here because there's an entry named Kester, which I would think is Michael K. He's at 172. But then there's also a Michael K entry at 741. So I think that... The, the transmitter and Michael K is like Jimmy rigging the, the whole thing here. You're not allowed two entry. You're allowed one entry. Maybe you have to add those two together and, and divide by two. I'm not sure. Dan Grassa, 243. Dave Rothenberg, uh, 372. My compatriot, Larry Hardesty, is dragging me down. He's 643, but he's, he's on the way up. 
He, he was much further down than that the last couple of weeks. So Lowry is he's start he's the he's the he's the pace he's the chase horse he's a chaser. He chases you down. By week 15, Larry's going to be up by Don LaGreca. And then Rosenberg Radio, he's at 8.15. So, they, look, some people have done well. Some people are pacing themselves. But, again, I think the main takeaway here is I'm number two of all the hosts. All right, let's get to the picks. I'm saying enough of this. We know you're number two, and everybody else outside of LaGreca is behind you, Gordon. Some very far back that you, you really kind of question whether or not they'll ever make up the ground. But let's get to the picks. Week six in the NFL. Let's start with my team. What did I say? What did I say? What did I tell you? It's so good when you know. When you know you can have patience. When you know you don't have to shoot your mouth off. When you know you can just wait around because it's coming. And it always comes around when it comes to the Miami Dolphins. I have said repeatedly, rooting for the Dolphins is like rooting for Wild E. Coyote to catch the Roadrunner. He's never going to catch the Roadrunner. You know what the end result will be. You don't know what form it will take. Sometimes it's the dynamite in the bouquet of flowers. Sometimes it's a package from the Acme Corporation that blows up. Sometimes the the tunnel turns out to be painted on the side of a mountain. Sometimes you run off the cliff and you have that little dust cloud that hangs in the air. You know what the result is going to be. And when the Dolphins got off to the hot start, 2-0, 3-0, I got all these these Dolphin fans, all these suckers, all these gluttons for punishment who can't just read the writing on the wall, who can't just look at the nose on their face and know that this organization is a disaster. But they're tweeting, oh, see, see, look how good they are. And then what happens? Thursday night game, the season implodes, and the Dolphins' season ended when Tua went down. And it looks like the reports are today he'll be back next week against the Steelers. It'll only be a matter of time before he gets hurt again. This week, it looks like it'll be some form of Skylar Thompson. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater's able to get out there. It doesn't really matter. Minnesota has been very effective moving the ball so far this season. They are minus three on the Cover 5 app. Give me the Vikings on Sunday, minus the three. Then some local flavor. We got the Jets. We got the Giants this week. Big games for both. Biggest game for the Jets in the Joe Douglas era, as I mentioned earlier. It's not like there's a whole lot of other contenders in that category. But this week at Green Bay, a place where the, the Packers very rarely lose in the regular season. Packers minus seven. Well, look, the only place the Jets have been able to string three W's together is on their website. It's been a very long time. But it's amazing what a 21-point fourth quarter against a seventh-round rookie quarterback playing without both of his tackles will do for you. It, 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 It takes your confidence level from where it is, and it brings it to another level. Now, the problem here is I just don't really trust the Packers. This is going to go out on a limb here, but it's almost like taking away one of the best wide receivers from your future Hall of Fame quarterback hurts the offense. I know, go figure. Who, who would have thunk it? And I just don't have a whole lot of confidence that the Packers can cover this number. Their defense, while talented, has not looked good. Now they're ticked off. They lost the game. They probably should have won last week. They had to make that long road trip from London back to Green Bay. And I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers is a bit ticked off and is looking to get fat against a a jet team 
that just a couple of weeks ago, everybody felt a whole different way about. But to me, seven points, it's not a big number for a good offense, but I just don't know that the Packers are that great of a team. I think the Jets lose but cover. So give me the Jets. Then we got the Ravens and the Giants. Oh, Giants. Plus four and a half on the Cover 5 app. Well, look, what the Giants have done is amazing so far. Emotional win last week in London. But now you got to travel back after that emotional win. You face a Ravens team that has two losses in which they were either tied or leading with like 15 seconds to go. And much like we were talking about the Cowboys earlier, there's certain teams can win in a variety of ways. The Giants have one way. And look, credit to them. They've been able to win in that way. This week, though, I think they're going to have to score some points. I just don't know that the Giants can hang in that way. And, and again, like, four and a half is not some, some great number. I think the Ravens have a variety of ways to beat you. I love the Wink Martindale story and what they have done. It really is a credit to coaching. And, and it, not just your head coach that you bring in when you have a new head coach, but the staff that he brings in. You want to bring in people that have experience in the role. It's not just about, well, this guy in a few years will be this great coordinator. No, this guy's got experience. And what he's done with a banged-up giant defense has been impressive. But I've doubted the Giants this entire time. I'm going to do it another week. I don't, I don't think that they can, can hang with the Ravens at that. So give me Baltimore minus the four and a half. The big games this week, I'm not going to touch the, um, the Bills and Chiefs one. Every time I bet against the Chiefs, it burns me. And every single time I bet against – it's not often, but every single time I do, I'm sitting on my couch in the second quarter just – calling myself an idiot so i'm gonna remain i'm gonna remain neutral on that one uh but the eagles and dallas game much like the giants i'm impressed with what dallas has done i just don't think it works here dallas's defense has been incredible but i just don't buy that cooper rush is going to continue to make these high leverage throws at the perfect time to keep this close enough you know the eagles have a variety of ways to beat you now they the the, the cowboys defense might be able to limit those 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 stretch plays, those those explosive plays, but I still think that if it gets down to it and they just have to put their hand in the dirt and, and kind of just grind you down with the run game, I think that they'll be able to do that. And, and I'm sorry, you know, anybody who thinks that there should be a quarterback controversy if Dallas wins this game, uh, I, again, I just have to wonder, like, do people watch the games at all or do they just look at the result and they just make the, resu- the, the judgments off of that? I think that that has to be what it is. So give me the Eagles minus the five as they take on the Dallas Cowboys. And then one last game. It's not the featured matchup. It's not the big explosive matchup. that. It, but you know what? It might actually be a higher score. I actually expect it to be a higher scoring game, maybe even than the Bills and the Chiefs. And that is the Cardinals at the Seahawks. The Cardinals. Yes, the Cardinals at the Seahawks, Arizona minus three. If I had a dollar for every story I've seen so far that Geno Smith's season is not a fluke, I wouldn't need to bet. I'd be a millionaire already. But again, I'm skeptical. I'm a skeptic. I'm the one. I still have a hard time believing now that at this age that Geno Smith now has all of a sudden figured it out on a Seahawks offense that I don't think is loaded with a whole lot of great weapons to begin with. And here's the thing. Geno, for all his success so far this year, they really there's not been a team that's really gone after him with the blitz, and the Cardinals do blitz a lot. So these two teams are almost 
direct opposites to me. Cardinals, you know, supposedly have a franchise quarterback, although he doesn't really play that way. Seattle, not so much. Seattle's been really well coached. Arizona has not been. Cardinals defense has is good, and I don't really buy the Seahawks D, so give me Arizona. Every time I pick Arizona, they fall. I mean, they fall behind every single. They, they look like they, they just got off the bus, and they weren't even aware that there was a game play, and they always have to catch up from behind. I think maybe this is the first week. I got to hope that the Arizona Cardinals actually come out and have a decent first quarter, and if they do, I think they roll in Seattle against the Seahawks. So those are my week six peak picks. Six peaks? Week six picks in the NFL. And if you've not already done so, sign up for the Cover 5 app, and you can join us along as I, again, 52nd place overall in Group NY22. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Phillies already into the National League Championship Series. The Astros trying to win their way into the American League Championship Series, but uh, a feisty game so far, you know, from the Mariners out in Seattle. First playoff game in forever for them out in Seattle and still scoreless as they play in the seventh inning out there. And you just, I mean, if you're a Mariners fan right now, look, this game isn't decided, obviously. Nobody has scored yet. But you, there has to be a, a, a part of you, if you're a Mariners fan, thinking to yourself, man, if we could have just got one of the first two. And who knows? Maybe the Astros will score in this inning and it'll be a sweep. But, you know, with the way those first two games went, if you could have got one of those two, they've, they've uh, gotten what they've wanted today out of their pitching and they're trying to scratch across a run. And uh, it just feels like, man, the Astros are so tough that you have to – they showed in those first two games you gotta you got to kill them dead, right? Like even when you think you have them down, you score those runs in game one against Verlander. You have a lead late and you're not able to seal the deal. And even game two, another – Another game where it looked like you, you had a path to victory, right? You still, even after taking the gut punch you take in game one, if you're able to earn the split before going home, you feel like you're still in the driver's seat. And even today, even taking those two gut punches, I don't think a lot of people after game one gave the Mariners much of a chance of winning the series. They come out in game two, had their chances, aren't able to get the deal. And then even game three, not able to score a run yet, but you feel like they're they're right here. And if they can get this win because of the short sample size and the short series, who knows how things change, right? Like, did anybody think that the the, the, the nationally championship series, the Phillies were going to be in, right? I mean, it's been crazy how uh, wild the baseball playoffs have been so far, but we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, the Yankee game tonight is a major focus because of everything that's riding on game three and the Yankee lineup, which has been such a focus here over the last 24 hours because of the performance of the offense in Game 2. Yankees switching things up tonight. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, Glaber Torres is going to be batting leadoff. Aaron Judge has moved back down to the two-hole. Anthony Rizzo third, Stanton fourth, Donaldson fifth, IKF hitting sixth. Harrison Bader will be hitting seventh. Kyle Higashioka gets the start behind the plate, and uh, Cabrera is still in left field. So even though he has uh, certainly struggled in the two games, uh, they are sticking with Cabrera, not trying to figure out a way to get Matt Carpenter's bat in the lineup. A little bit maybe surprising there as you're struggling to score runs. Uh, but there was one thing that I did, I, I've not mentioned from game two as of yet, that I want to put out there right now that has been portrayed in a way that is completely not true. After game two, and I think it was his, the strikeout, was it in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, whatever it was, 
Aaron Judge strikes out for the final time, and there is a smattering of boos. The way this has been portrayed, that Yankee fans booed Aaron Judge, or I heard one report that the entire stadium booed. Again, here is actually how it sounded in the game. Because it's, it's being portrayed as if the, the like it rained down booze. And we've heard that before. Certain Yankees. I mean, John Carlos Stanton has certainly heard booze before uh, in his Yankee tenure. So here is the, the, I think it's in the seventh inning yesterday. Yankee Stadium. Aaron Judge strikes out. And this is the, the one where everybody is saying the Yankee fans booed Aaron Judge. Listen to this. The play play. Four strikeouts for the afternoon. Okay, now, is it me? Is it my? Jacob, you tell me. You're a Met fan. You're not biased as I am. I know earlier this year there was a strikeout in a game against the Blue Jays like the first month of the season. Like three or four yahoos booed Aaron Judge, and it got portrayed in one way that it really wasn't. Did you hear a, a single, I mean, a single boo in that cut? Not at all. Not at all, Gordon. Can you play it one more time? Obviously, this is from TBS yesterday, game two of the ALDS, Yankees and Guardians. Here's the strikeout that everybody's talking about. The Yankee fans booed Aaron Judge. Four strikeouts for the afternoon. I, I mean, I got I to gotta be honest. I, I, I did not hear any boos. And again, maybe I'm just blinded by my Yankee passion, my Yankee fandom. But I, I do not hear any boos there. Now, I'm not saying that Aaron Judge won't get booed. I, I'm sure there are some clowns that would boo uh, even Aaron Judge, even after the great season he's had, after going, oh, I mean, we've seen Giancarlo Stanton get booed on opening day. So there are, there are clowns in every fan base, and if there are anybody, if, if there is anybody who booed Aaron Judge after any part of this season, even after going 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts, uh, obviously they're clowns. But one last time, just so I make sure, you know, I want to go over these things with a fine-tooth comb. I don't want to, uh, you know, jump to conclusions. So one more time, here is the, the Yankee fans. And again, one report was, was it from Fox? Who was it from? I'll have to check. But one report was the entire stadium booed Aaron Judge. Let's hear it one last time. Four strikeouts for the afternoon. Maybe it's Bob Costas that was booing. It was it was a Yahoo. Oh, Yahoo is the one. I thought you said it was a Yahoo. I, yeah. Well, clearly he's a Yahoo if he's <laughs> if he's booing him. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. We have the evidence. Like you can't just make up whatever you want to say. We have the actual audio. And look, I'm sure that there are some sections at the stadium where people are making noise, and I'm sure people ah oh, oh you know that's not exactly boo. We know what boo sounds like. And just go back to various opening days with Giancarlo Stanton. Sometimes when he's coming up for the very first time. Man, that would be like a ticker tape parade, that reaction for Giancarlo Stanton at times in, in, his, Yankee, uh, in his Yankee career. So, yeah, for anybody, and I'm sure, I am sure that if the Yankees lose in this round, in the next round, whatever round, if they don't win the World Series, and Aaron Judge either resigns or goes someplace else, there will be this narrative, well, you know, he got booed in that playoff game that time. He did not get booed. We just listened to it. And you cannot tell me that, the, that, that, that there was a, a sizable group of Yankee fans booing Aaron Judge, even after going 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts. 
You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Let's go out to the phones again, and we'll go out to uh, Buddha is in the Bronx. Buddha, what's going on, my friend? Hey, going? What's going on, bro? I will tell you tonight, man. You know, let's uh, hope for good things. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I called about the Yankees and the Jets. Uh, I, it's, it's crazy that in October that I'm more optimistic about the Jets than the Yankees. I don't know if that's ever happened in my lifetime. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you know, been a while. Um, it's, 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 you, know, you said if the Yankees get to the World Series. I mean, I'm, you're a very intelligent guy. And I'm sure you look, feel the same yeah. way that I do. The, yeah. the Yankees, you know, I, I noticed that when you saw the Mets, play against the Padres, and now you're looking at the um, Padres and the Dodgers, and then you're looking at Seattle and and um, Houston. They're playing a, a, a higher level of baseball than either of the New York teams played, uh, especially, you know, the Mets. But with the Yankees, that bottom half of, of the uh, order is, is yeah, huge, it's to be quite honest. Well, well look, I mean, it's, a, it's a... It's a routine thing in October that the Yankee offense goes south, but there's been far better Yankee offenses that have gone south in this one. Like, this one is not really all that shocking. Yeah, no, it's not even that it's shocking. But, you know, the whole thing is with the booing stuff or whatever, I mean, to me that stuff is meaningless. It goes up and down. You know how it is with fans. The big problem the Yankees have is, I mean, they have to upgrade at four positions, four positions on the field next year as well as get another starter and get bullpen help. So not only is it going to be disappointing what happens this year, I don't really know what the path for them to get back to being a hundred win team or whatever next year is. It, it looks pretty tough if you really think about it. I mean, whether judge stays or goes to be quite honest with you. Yeah. And you here's know, the thing. But, uh, gonna, yeah. I'll, I'll let you make a jet point. The thing with, with mm-hmm. uh, the judge decision is, it, you know, with the Yankees and the way that they use that payroll. Now, if they bring back judge, that's the move. Like they're not, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of other moves other than that. They'll spend all the money on judge and they'll tout that as their big move, and then they'll make, you know, they'll make little things here and there, but not anything that's making up for the difference. Yeah, they desperately need a center fielder, but you know that that's another story. Um, listen, with the Jets tomorrow, you know, obviously, you know, they're not going to be a favorite. You know, you're going into a, a road stadium against, you know, a very decorated quarterback. Um, the coach Lafleur. I mean, I don't know how much he's sort of like an Aaron Boone to me. I don't know how much coaching he's actually doing over there. Seems like Aaron Rodgers tells everybody what's going to go down over there. But what I will say is with the Jets, where they have a distinct advantage is their secondary versus the Green Bay wide receivers. I, I would say that's advantage to the Jets. And you know what they're going to have to do, which sometimes I, I don't know if this has been noticed. The Jets' defense has played better, but they still have problems against the run. If you really pay attention, even in, in the Oh, no, that's game, last week. Yeah, absolutely. Off, yeah, the guy's ripping off 12 and 15-yard runs. You know, now, they got two backs over there. The, 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 the Jones guy is more of the uh, the bell cow back, and the other guy, the kid from Boston College, you know, he's a, he's a thumper, you know, five, six yards here, and they're sprinkled in. If they can hold them, let's say, you know, between the two of those backs, if they go hold them to, like, let's say, a buck 10, a buck 20, that gives them an opportunity, you know, to keep doing what they're doing, which is the plan that I like. You know, not allowing or not depending on the quarterback to, you know, really do a whole lot except 
put the ball in the hands of the people that can make the play. So, you know, let's see what happens. If they win that game tomorrow, Gordon. They win oh, that great. game. Or even if they show really, really well, now you got a building block for the program because there'll be excuses for all these other wins that they had, you know, last second win and, uh, you know, backup quarterbacks and things like that. This is a game that could be like a watershed moment for the coaching staff. Yeah, Buddha, and thanks for the phone call. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it, it doesn't take a long memory to, to know, right? The, the, last week, the, the giant win kind of changed the narrative around the giant season, right? Being able to play that game and come back and beat the Packers in London makes you look at the Giants more seriously. So if the Jets are able to go into Green Bay and do that, you'd have to say the same thing for them. And sitting at 4-2, and two, that's... That's an incredible start. Um, we'll see uh, how things go tomorrow. It does, it does kind of feel like people are getting a little carried away based on a, a 21-point fourth quarter against a seventh-round rookie quarterback against a team that was playing without both their tackles. But what do I, you know, maybe I'm biased. I could always be biased. I admit my own biases. Let's go out to Max on Long Island. Max, you're next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Hey, how you doing, man? Hey, Max. So... I was at the Yankee game yesterday, and you were talking about Judge being booed, and you were listening to it on TBS. Right. And I'll tell you, all the diehard fans that were sitting in my section, around my section, were booing Judge. It was just the the guys that show up with 99 on the back that take their phones out, that treat right. the stadium yeah, no, like of it's a Disneyland attraction. Yeah, they're not booing him. But the fans that have been a Yankee fan since birth and have been watching excellence and demand excellence – when you got a guy like Judge that's going 0 for 7 and has notoriously looked bad in the postseason, maybe he does need to be booed. Those regular season stats go out the window once the postseason starts. Well, Max, if you're going to boo Aaron Judge after two games in the postseason, uh, well, then you know what—you don't deserve to have nice things. I mean, I don't, I don't know what other way to put it. You know, like any player who has two bad games in a row, and and again, you you lost one game, you won one game. And Judge had uh, an impact in that game with the stolen base and scored a run. And I get, I get it's not a home run, but if you're booing somebody after two games, then you probably don't deserve to have nice things after the season that this guy has given you. And really a season that saved the, the, the team. Like, he did a lot more for the team than the team did for him. I can tell you that much. That's fair. That's fair. It's just, I mean, it's scary. It's frustrating. I get it. Last year, too. He was terrible last year in the postseason, too. Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of, and Max, thanks for the phone call. That's kind of the, the point that we've seen here. You know, like we all have these narratives that we think are true, and then it, we get down to it and we find out that they're not true. So one of the narratives I never want to hear again, that you can't hit home runs in October. Good teams, you know, the good pitching steps up. You're going to have to manufacture those runs. You're not going to be able to hit, live and die with the home run. You're going to have to, you know, maybe work out a walk, steal a base, bunt the guy over, sack fly to get him, and that's the way you're going to get your run. No, no, no. You absolutely, like, if you have watched this year's postseason, you've seen that the home run is the key way that team score runs in, the, in October. It's very hard. You know, like, just take your own example and kind of extrapolate it out. Like, so if you're saying that the pitching is better, you're saying that you'll have a better chance of scratching together a hit here and a hit there and a hit, get three hits together to score a run? Or do you think you find one pitch that you can do damage with and you do that damage and you hit a home run and score runs that way? Like the Mets, we, we, that was one of the questions we had about their approach as opposed to other approaches. And the Indians' approach, 
right? The Indians are not a team that's going to hit home runs, but in the way that they've won games, in the three games that they've won in the, in the playoffs, they've hit home runs in each of them. And, and the first playoff series that they played, that's the way they won both the games with, with home runs. So you're going to have to be able to hit home runs, and that is a way that you're going to have to rely on to score runs. Now, it's not the only way. Sure, you might be able to score runs in other ways too, but you have to be able to hit home runs come October. If you can't slug, you will not win. So that's one narrative we can absolutely uh, throw out the window right away. So the Yankees tonight have to go out there and, and figure out a way to be able to, to get the, the job done. And the other thing is, it's very hard. The other narrative is we think that there's, well, there's, there's a clear blueprint to build teams that have success come October. There's not. Like, take a look at how unpredictable the playoffs have been this year. And now with, you know, more playoff games, more playoff teams, it's just going to become more of an example of that. That come October, you know, it's, it, there's not a play. You know, take a look at the teams right now, the Phillies. How did they end their regular season? Did they end their regular season rolling? No. They, it almost looked like they were trying to give away a playoff spot, but they, they won a couple of games. They're hitting home runs. They're scoring runs, and they're flying high, and all of a sudden the defending champion Braves are gone. Same thing with the Padres, right? I mean, they did not exactly have a strong – I think from July, August, September, and October, I think uh, all those months combined, the Padres were like two games over five hundred. And one of the things that I liked about the Padres was at the trade deadline, who took bigger swings than them? And for a good stretch after the trade deadline, those moves did not work. Soto didn't work. Uh, Josh Bell didn't work. Hader was imploding left and right. And yet they got into October. They get into the series against the Mets. They, they, they shine up their ears and they get, they get to work. And they're able to find a way. Trent Grisham hitting home runs, able to find a way to get a win. And all of a sudden, things start to get pieced together. And then pay, take on the big, old, the big old Dodgers and are able to shut down their bat. Like, the, like everybody will point to the, yeah, well, they're not scoring any runs. And they're not. Uh, the Dodgers can't they have a, a small village on the base paths. Today, the Astros, I think, have seven or eight hits, have not been able to score a run. It's hard to score runs in October. That's why the home run becomes so important. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.